So there are some pretty significant geostrategic implications for us and our national security um, related particularly to the flow of commerce and oil through what are called choke points in uh, like the Strait of Hormuz, the Suez Canal, and Bab el-Mandeb. Um, and so basically since the end of World War II, the U.S. has endeavored to keep stability in the region, primarily through military interventionism and, of course, massive deployments. Um, but as Iran and other players keep trying to position themselves regionally, um, our naval forces have uh, continued to play a, a really important role in uh, the region. And it's... Um, the strategy that we currently have with the Navy uh, is maybe worth looking at in the in the, uh, the region. So today on uh, Asked and Answered, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to look at uh, these these uh, sea lane choke points, uh, our Navy, and, and may, what maybe we can talk about with that. So what are we talking about exactly? Well, I think we're going to do a couple of things. The first is I'm, I might give you a little bit of background information, and then we can talk about like a framework for discussion, and then uh, some suggestions and solutions that have been talked about um, by other experts in this area. Um, where to start? So, I guess the easiest place uh, is to kind of give some background. <clears throat> Since the end of the Second War, Second World War, um, we've been largely successful in influencing the production and transportation of oil around the world. And in this, uh, we've given a lot of attention to the richest oil region, region, which is of course the Persian Gulf. And the way we did that primarily was by propping up friendly regimes and oil exporting nations with arms and credits and sometimes overthrowing or marginalizing those that stood in our way. We also influenced the, the rooting of oil export pipelines and uh, patrolling the sea lanes through where much of the oil was shipped. Um, and a lot of the things that I'll be talking about in this uh, are derived from a lot of different sources, a lot of experts on this topic. Um, and at the end of the podcast, uh, I'll list sort of a, a bibliography that you can research or reference if you'd like. Um, some of these are going to be direct quotes. If if I can, I'll tell you when it's a direct quote, but if it's not, just assume that everything I'm saying is plagiarized from some source, but I'll try to give you the sources at the end. So, um, so it's pretty complicated the way the politics of these, the passage of goods moves through these waterways in the Middle East. Um, as you might imagine, it mirrors pretty closely the complicated relationships between these countries in the area. Um, there's a lot of tacit agreements, treaties, complex rules. Um, for example, in 1956, uh, after the Suez War, Israel demanded that they had freedom of navigation through the Suez Canal. And by 1957, there was sort of an understanding between Egypt and Israel uh, as to the how Israeli goods could pass through 
But despite that, in 1959, uh, the Egyptians breached this agreement. And the UN Secretary General formulated a new agreement uh, called the Effective Stand. And these sort of tacit agreements and the prospects for aggression among all the parties involved prompted us and other interested parties to sort of act proactively to prevent oil disruptions. And so since that time period, we've maintained a really heavy naval presence in the area. But even despite this, there's, of course, been wild fluctuations in oil prices uh, over the last 70 years and, you know, still occur regularly despite our uh, pretty, you know, pretty significant gains in oil independence uh, over the last several years. Um, so the other part of that is, is that um, these tested agreements and were kind of meant to reduce aggression in the region, but what they really depended on was the U.S. Navy being present. Um, and that's just the way it is. So it kind of is important to understand the geography of this region. Um, there are three main choke points um, that I'd like to sort of point out and talk about. And I suppose it would be helpful to give sort of a formal definition of a choke point. I happen to have one. Um, so the U.S. Department of Energy's website, they define choke points as the narrow channels along widely used global sea routes that are a critical part of global energy security due to high volume of oil traded through their narrow straits. That's one sort of uh, easy example. So it might be interesting to know that more than 80% of all goods uh, around the world produced are, are moved over water on the sea. And in fact, about 20% of our oil um, as of 2012 came from uh, uh, oil. Uh, oil came through uh, shipping lanes and over the sea. Um, all of which came, if it came from the Persian Gulf, had to go through the Strait of Hormuz, the Suez Canal, or uh, what's called Bab el Mandeb, which is another one. Um, and those are the three that are sort of the, the focus of what I'm talking about today. Um, so, the Strait of Hormuz is probably the most uh, important choke point in the world. Um, there's about 17 million barrels of oil per day that that go through it. Um, about 20% of the oil traded flows through it each year. And what's interesting is at its narrowest point, the strait's 21 miles wide. Um, but the width of the shipping lane in either direction, it's like a road, there's two lanes, is only two miles wide, and it's separated by a two-mile buffer zone. Um, so it connects the Red Sea to the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Suez with the Mediterranean Sea. And in 2011, there were uh, just under 18,000 ships that went through the Suez Canal in both directions. Um, and it's, you know, it's a major strategic choke point and strategic point for all types of global commerce. 
Um, and at its very narrowest point, it's only a thousand feet wide, which makes it an excellent target for disruption. Um, Bab el Mandeb is a choke point between the Horn of Africa and the Middle East, and it's also a strategic link between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. It's about 18 miles wide at its narrowest point, making tanker, tanker traffic particularly difficult. Uh, and limited to two two-mile-wide channels. So if closure of that strait would happen, it could keep tankers from the Persian Gulf from reaching the Suez Canal and moving forward, right? So back in 2009, there was a group that did a study and made recommendations about uh, what's going on with these, these uh, choke points. And uh, they made an observation, and it said... Um, Basically, if a single tanker were attacked on the high seas, the impact on the energy market would, of course, be marginal. But if geography, because geography forces these tankers to pass through these strategic choke points, most of which are located in areas where terrorists with maritime capabilities are active, then these channels and choke points are so narrow that a single burning super tanker and its spreading oil slit could block the route of, for other vessels. And if terrorists were to hijack a large bulk carrier or oil tanker and sell it into one of the choke points and scuttle it, then the consequences for the global economy would be really severe. Um, increasing oil prices, the cost of shipping would go up, everyone would have to use alternative routes and congestion in the, these already really tight spaces would get really bad. Um, plus insurance and maritime uh, problems would go up too. So historically, we have, and our, of course our allies, have focused on state-level threats from countries like Iran when we develop a strategy for naval security. And of course this is a valid concern, it remains a valid concern, but uh, Iran has, has threatened repeatedly to close the Strait of Hormuz if, if we attacked it over its nuclear program. And their ability to cause problems uh, is largely because of the development of what's called anti-access area denial or what's also known as A2AD capabilities um, and because the instability of the regimes that have controlled Iran over the last several dec decades it, it's a significant threat but what is the most likely threat is, of course, from non-state actors. Um, we're talking ISIL or uh, Al-Qaeda even. Um, it's uh, terrorism is going to be the most realistic threat to global commerce. Um, so even a simple hijacking of a tanker could cause massive worldwide disruption of trade, um, which leads to some pretty interesting problems that we need to solve, right? So there's a, a fairly famous historian and strategist. His name was Alfred Thayer Mann. And he's largely credited with pushing the U.S. toward reliance on a strong navy and in, to the expansion of overseas territories. Um, he was born in 1840, and he basically was the everyman military man. His dad was a professor at West Point. Um, he went there himself and graduated there. He, he became a rear admiral in the Navy. 
and his ideas and analysis of sea power and particularly the lines of communication made him one of the most significant geopoliticians of the modern era um, in a book about him uh, one author wrote Mayan's concept of the relationships between commerce and war making capacity uh, basically undergirded our understanding of global commerce in the 20th century so what his basic philosophy was was that naval engagements uh, could be mo maximized if they were uh, undertaken with the understanding of what these strategic points where a physical presence was necessary to defend these trade routes uh, if our Navy acted in a way that was in defense of those trade routes. So basically his argument was that um, if we can hold these choke points we can control the flow of commerce and basically there were two kinds of powers in the world those who communicated by land and those who depended on the sea and because the sea lines are the most numerous and easy they would basically be the determinative of course of trade so as a lot of other people have sort of in indicated over the years choke points are extraordinarily important to global commerce and using May, sort of Mayan's overarching idea about choke points in general and focusing specifically on the Middle East, uh, we, can, we can make some pretty interesting conclusions, we can draw some pretty interesting conclusions about that. Um, so what do we want to talk about? Well, even though his strategy was from the late 1800s, uh, it fits pretty well with today's modern strategy, right? The importance of these choke points hasn't changed since his time. And his advocacy of naval supremacy over these choke points is as important today as it was then. And deterrence through forward presence uh, basically has allowed the United States to maintain uh, hegemony in these regions for a generation now. Um, but we live in a different era now and we face budget cuts and uncertainty over our economy and pressures to disengage from our traditional military roles around the world particularly under the Obama administration and uh, so maybe it's time to look at this and be a little more strategic about this so one of the things we've learned over the years is by having a massive naval presence in these regions countries like Iran are able to vex us through very simple technology and uh, a pretty easy strategy which is basically they use the natural advantages of their proximity to these choke points um, but also they take the fact that we have these large fleet vessels which are huge targets and are able to menace us with small mobile fast-moving ships um, you may remember that uh, the USS Cole in Yemen uh, was bombed in this way right uh, and we've taken some deterrent measures since then uh, but you, you know nothing's foolproof we've seen a lot of accidents with the US Navy in recent years 
where they've collided with tankers in the open ocean um, that says something there. So with that in mind, there absolutely are some pretty significant strategic implications for us. Because these are pretty large targets, uh, they're easy for non-state actors to, to see them, to find them, and to plan around them. Um, especially if they're able to coordinate a large-scale attack involving either the, the hijacking of another tanker, um, which we've seen how that can do massive damage to one of our warships. Um, so we really need to focus on some kind of holistic approach to dealing with both the state-level threat and the terrorist non-state actor. Um, so my thought process on that is that the carriers are going to do the fine job uh, of keeping the state actors in check. And they can do that regionally and further from the choke points than what they typically are. Um, and instead we're going to focus on having a more nimble and agile naval presence in these choke points. Um, you know, and another way to do this would be to have, to continue in our role of strategic military and diplomatic, um, efforts in these regions, and also to bring in other global partners who rely on these, this, this safe and secure flow of goods to help us police these areas. Um, so... Anyway, that's a brief primer, uh, just real quick and dirty on what's the importance of these straits that are in these areas. And, and um, if you're not familiar with these typical, this typical geography um, near the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman, uh, where the Strait of Hormuz is, and take a look. It's it's fascinating. Um, Real fast, uh, some sources on this if you're interested in additional reading. There's a book uh, called Transportation Security Against Terrorism. Um, uh, an interesting article uh, called uh, Israel, Egypt, and the Freedom of Passage to the Suez Canal, 1957 to the 1960. It appears in the Middle East Journal. Um, another uh, one by John Bradford. And it's called the Maritime Strategy of the United States. Uh, Combating Pirates Off the Coast of Somalia, Current Legal Challenges by M.D. Fink and R.J. Galvin. Traversing the Persian Gauntlet, U.S. Naval Projection in the Strait of Hormuz by Jeffrey Gresh. David Hansen, The Immutable Importance of Geography. Robert Kaplan, The Revenge of Geography. Uh... Robert Kolb, Geopolitical Threats in World Energy Markets. Reynolds Pill, The Importance of Maritime Choke Points. Peter Pham, Iran's Threat to the Strait of Hormuz. Michael Renner, The New Geopolitics of Oil. And Jay Samita, Alfred Thayer Mann, Geopolitician. Christine, Christian Coates Orkson, The Geopolitics of Insecurity in the Horn of Africa. Peter Verwager, Impact of Middle East Oil and Oil Export Disruption, and the U.S. Department of Energy. And so that's the end of this episode.
Um, this They're not all going to be like this. This is a little more of a nerdy deep dive on one specific topic. Um, but we're covering a lot of different ground, and, and I'm having fun. So I hope you'll tune in again, and be sure to leave me your thoughts and uh, send me any messages on things you'd like to talk about. Until next time, take care.